just already met uh, a number of you this morning. If this is your first time at Church on the Rock, we do want to welcome you. We are glad that you're here with us. Uh, we, we enjoy the opportunity to connect with you and, and have you see us in action. And uh, so that's great. Thank you for coming. Um, and we are beginning a series uh, uh, this morning uh, in, in Ecclesiastes, right? That's right. And kind of working through the... Um, the the wisdom books, yep. which will be fun. And um, my name is Skip Bowersox. I'm one of the pastors. I know this is a bit of a hodgepodge, but the newcomers, they don't know. That's They've right. never seen it this done before. They don't know that you're stumbling through this right That's now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but they will soon learn that this That's is right. how it goes, that there's nothing new about this. Anyway, I am Skip Bowersox. I do remember that part. That's right. And I am one of the pastors here. And this is my good friend, Aaron Weiser, also one of the pastors. And uh, you're bringing the word today. That's right. So let's uh, we'll just uh, get me out of the way, and uh, cut you you and the Lord loose. Thanks. So thank you, Lord, for for Aaron. Uh, I I do pray for him this uh, this morning as he's not feeling awesome. I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower him uh, in a special way because of that. But also, Lord, we just uh, are trusting and expecting to hear from you through him. Thank you for his study. And, and Lord, also, we're looking forward to uh, the, the special moment of connecting with you over, over the broken bread and uh, the poured out uh, juice, which is a reminder to us of your great sacrifice. So thank you, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Skip. All right. If you want to turn to your Bibles, you can open to Ecclesiastes. We are jumping into... Uh, we're going to spend a few weeks in the wisdom literature. Uh, we're going to look, uh, we're going to spend a couple weeks in Ecclesiastes, and then a couple weeks in the book of Proverbs, and then uh, I believe after that we're going to spend some time in the book of Job. Uh, these are personally some of my favorite books of the Bible uh, because they speak to very uh, big questions, very deep, profound questions, and they're very honest uh, the wisdom literature is very honest, and Ecclesiastes in particular is a very honest book. Um, if your pastor got up and was uh, just speaking from the heart to you on a Sunday morning and spoke uh, thematically consistent with Ecclesiastes, you would be concerned, you would be worried, uh, and rightfully so, because there is some concerns that are legitimately raised in the book of Ecclesiastes. We come here week after week after week, and it's never enough. We have tried for 10 years now to give you enough church to change your life, and it's just never enough. See, you're concerned right now. You're getting concerned. <laughs> you guys have a good Christmas? Yeah? How many of you got a gift from your spouse? Sweet. How many of you remember the gift that you bought your spouse last year? Like five of you. Isn't that funny? We, Jenny and I spend all this time, you know, identifying the perfect gift. We were having a conversation a couple weeks ago. Neither one of us could remember what we had purchased for each other last year really made a big impact. I asked my kids, I said, when are you more excited, the day before Christmas or the day after Christmas? I asked them this on the 26th, and they said, oh, definitely the day before Christmas. <laughs> <clears throat> I 
So this is what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to open up the Ecclesiastes. What I'm going to give you this morning, and even in conjunction with what Skip will talk about next week, is not a sufficient uh, uh, level of detail for the book of Ecclesiastes. None of our teachings on Sunday morning are a sufficient foray into these parts of the Scripture. And so we're going to unpack a little bit this morning. I'm going to give you kind of some of the big picture ideas from Ecclesiastes, but it's a wonderful book. And with the weather that we have outside right now, it would be perfect. It would be perfectly suited for this time. I would strongly encourage you to spend your own time uh, in the Word uh, as we cover it here uh, on Sunday mornings. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles over here. You can grab one. That's our gift to you. Uh, You can take it home with you, uh, or you can open up the Church on the Rock Homer app, and we have a Bible built in there. So this, uh, we're going to jump into Ecclesiastes. This is what we're going to do. We have kids here. We have our K through fifth graders with us this morning. I'm going to be a little bit short this morning so that we have time to do communion. And if you're really good, I'm going to show you a movie halfway through my teaching. It's going to be awesome. Here are the three problems that the writer of Ecclesiastes raises And then he offers four possible solutions. Here are the three problems. The first thing is this. Everything seems to be on repeat. I'm 39 years old. I just celebrated my 40th Christmas. The author raises this. He says, everything seems to be on repeat. And what he is speaking to is the sense, as he has gotten down the road of of his own life, that All of these things that used to be new and interesting and exciting have now lost their excitement. I've lost the enthusiasm. Everything that I'm doing, it seems like all of it has been done before. Ecclesiastes 1, also the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Blowing towards the south and then turning towards the north, the wind continues swirling along, and on its circular course, the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. And to the place where the rivers flow, there they will flow again. Repair the car today, and it will need repairs again tomorrow. This is verse 10. As soon as the homework is done, there is another assignment waiting for you. Your child's behavior that was corrected 47 times today will be in full force tomorrow. The difficult person at work will erode your soul until the next difficult person takes their place. (laughs) The challenge that you faced in getting out of bed this morning, you will face it again tomorrow. I was traveling to Portland this last February, and I was coming back into the airport to fly back to Anchorage. And there's uh, this incomprehensible line pattern that they've established as you snake towards security, right? And there's several different categories of people. There's like the super special, and they have a very short line. Then there's the kind of special, and they have a little bit of a longer line. And then there's the prattle like us who just, you know, we're in an 18-mile-long line, and we have no idea how this line works. We just know that it's supposed to end us up at the the security screening. 
And there's a man there, a TSA agent, who is very loudly and vocally um, explaining his line science to the crowd that's in front of him because no one exactly understands what they're supposed to be doing, right? And so he sounds kind of like a coach. He's very verbose, he's very loud, and he's, he's, he's helping everyone get the picture of how his line structure works. And I was suddenly overcome by the sense of sadness for him. It occurred to me, he thinks that tomorrow we're all going to come back knowing how the line works and we're going to get it right. No one has told this guy that tomorrow it's a totally new team and no one understands his line science. Verse 8, all things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. Netflix today will be more Netflix tomorrow. There will never come a time when you say, I've enjoyed enough Instagram for one lifetime. Tomorrow, your eyes will want more. If your team wins today, the thrill will last but briefly. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Your problems, your challenges, your joys, all of it has been seen a billion times before. And if you're like me, so much of it can be surprising and yet none of it is new. All of the things that you've encountered in your life, whether good or bad, that have taken you by surprise, that surprise is only because it's the first time you've experienced it, not because it's the first time it's been experienced. The writer says, everything is on repeat. I've gotten to a place in my life where I'm just so aware of this constant cycle of doing and doing and doing and doing. And then he goes on, he says the second problem is that everything is forgotten. Verse 11, there's no remembrance of earlier things and also of the later things which will occur there will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. All of this plotting, all of this fighting, all this wearisome work, and guess what? It's going to come a time when no one will remember. How many of you know your parents' names? All right, most of you. How many of you know the first name of all of your grandparents? Most of you. How many of you know the first names of all of your great-grandparents? There you go. All is forgotten. Weren't our great-grandparents' victories worth remembering, hard-fought, hard-earned. We exist in part because of them. And yet the writer says, you realize that it's always forgotten. Thirdly, everything is lost. Yes, I handpicked this sermon for when our kindergartners would be here. 
Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all of the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. And this too is vanity. Everything that I've worked to accumulate for myself in this lifetime will go to someone else. And who knows what they will do with it. Everything seems to be on repeat, and yet everything is forgotten, and everything is lost. And so the, the, the writer, uh, or the, the, the speaker uh, in Ecclesiastes, is documenting his efforts, his uh, attempts, or his quest to make sense of all of this. And he mentions in particular a couple of ways that he tried to make sense of things, uh, a couple of ways that he tried to bring some sense of meaning into the emptiness. He first says, maybe wisdom is the answer. Maybe the goal is to pursue wisdom, and that would be the thing that would bring meaning to my life. And then he acknowledges, he says, but as I grew in wisdom, I found that sorrow multiplied accordingly. And then he says, maybe it would be pleasure. And so I went after whatever my appetites so desired. I had lots of wives and concubines. I had lots of food. In fact, he says, I had lots of entertainment. Whatever was on, whatever my appetite said I wanted that day, I gave to myself. And then he said this, and yet the appetites were never satisfied. The more I had, the more that I wanted. It's the law of diminishing returns. What excited me today is boring tomorrow. So then he looks to his work. He builds houses and storehouses, gardens. Thought maybe I could find some meaning or purpose in my work, what I set my hands to do. And yet that's where he's confronted with the reality that everything that he puts his hands to will go to someone else. There's no permanency to it. And then he says, lastly, well, maybe wealth, maybe the pursuit of wealth. pursues wealth, becomes very wealthy. And along with that wealth is the realization that as my wealth has increased, need has increased accordingly. The issue is not that these things cannot produce any good, and the writer is honest about that. The issue is that these things all seem to betray us eventually. As soon as we grab a hold of them, they're gone. They turn to vapor. What is wonderful today is sorrow tomorrow. All of these things don't guarantee or inherently produce a sense of meaning and purpose in my life. A friend of mine, 
Jonah Brost uh, introduced me to uh, something several years ago that my family has tremendously benefited from, and it is a YouTube channel on the interweb. Uh, it is a YouTube channel called The Bible Project. Uh, the Bible Project is, uh, it came out of a church, I believe, down in California, and what the Bible Project does is they produce, initially they started producing visual summaries of books of the Bible, and once they got done with all of that, uh, they, had, they were so popular that they've now gone on and produced, I would say, maybe a couple of hundred additional videos that are, uh, there are word study videos, there are uh, biblical theme videos, and all of them are attempt to sort of visually depict certain parts of the Bible. Um, this has been a wonderful tool that my family has greatly enjoyed. Uh, we do, we sit down at the table uh, for breakfast on school mornings and have some kind of uh, meaningful spiritual conversation. Sometimes we'll open the Word of God, sometimes we'll pray together, and then usually on Wednesdays we watch the Bible Project together. So I'm offering this to you as a tool for, for you parents uh, to use with your own kids. And because we have kids with us this morning, I'm going to show you now, it's about eight minutes long, I'm going to show you uh, the visual outline from the Bible Project of the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, it's part of the Bible's wisdom literature, and it opens with this line, the words of Kohelet, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now in Hebrew, the word Kohelet, it means someone who has gathered people together. And in this case, it's to learn, so it's often translated in English as teacher. And the teacher is said to be a son or a descendant of King David. And so there are different views about who this figure might have been. Many think that it refers to King Solomon, others to maybe one of the later kings of David's line, and still others think that it's actually a later Israelite teacher who has adopted a Solomon-like persona as a teaching aid. Whichever of these views is correct, the key thing is to recognize that the teacher is a character in the book and is different than the author of the book, who remains anonymous. So we do hear the teacher's voice for most of the book, but it's actually a different voice, the author, who introduces us to the teacher in the first sentence and then at the end concludes the book by summarizing and evaluating everything the teacher just said. So the author is someone who wants us to hear all that the teacher has to say and then help us process it and form our own conclusion. So what does the teacher have to say? Well, the author summarizes the teacher's basic message at the beginning and right at the end. And it's hevel, hevel. Everything is utterly hevel. Now, most English Bibles translate this word hevel as meaningless, but that doesn't quite capture the heart of the idea. In Hebrew, hevel literally means vapor or smoke. And the teacher uses this word 38 times in the book as a metaphor to describe how life is, first of all, temporary or fleeting, like a wisp of smoke. But secondly, also how life is an enigma or a paradox. Like smoke, it appears solid, but when you try and grab onto it, there's nothing there. So there's so much beauty or goodness in the world, but just when you're enjoying it, tragedy strikes and it all seems to blow away. Or we all have a strong sense of justice, but all the time bad things happen to good people. So life is constantly, it's unpredictable, it's unstable, or in the teacher's words, like chasing after the wind. Hevel. 
Now that's kind of a downer. So why is he saying all of this? The author's basic goal is to target all of the ways that we try to build meaning and purpose in our lives apart from God. And he lets the teacher deconstruct these. So the author thinks we spend most of our time investing energy and emotion in things that ultimately have no lasting meaning or significance. And he lets the teacher give us a hard lesson in reality. You can see this most clearly in the opening and closing poems, which focus first of all on time and then on death. So the teacher says, you can spend your whole life working and achieving because you think that makes your life meaningful. You should really stop and consider the march of time. For all of the human effort that takes place in the world, nothing really ever changes. So sure, we develop technology and we build nations that rise and fall, but go climb a mountain and see if it cares. It was there long before any of us, and it will be here long after. I mean, no one's even going to remember you or anything you did a hundred years from now, but that mountain, it'll still be there. And the ocean will still be breaking on the beach, and the sun will still rise and set. And so time will eventually erase you and me and everything that we care about. And if that's not disheartening enough, the teacher also can't stop talking about death all the way through the book, but especially in this poem near the end. He says, death is the great equalizer, and it renders meaningless most of our daily activities. It devours the wise and the fool, the rich and the poor, no matter who you are, what you've done, good or bad, we're all going to die, and it's inescapable. So with these two ideas in hand, the teacher goes on to consider all the activities and false hopes that we invest our lives in to find meaning and significance, like wealth or career or social status or pleasure. So you think working hard is going to make life worth it? Think about the stress and the toll that that takes on you, all the anxiety and the sleepless nights. And by the time you actually earn some wealth, you're going to be too old to enjoy it anyway. And then by the time that you have to pass it on to someone, they may not even be someone who cares about anything that you did. Or maybe you think pleasure is going to make life worth it for you. Go for it. You know, live for your vacations. Live for the weekend party. Monday always comes. Hevel, hevel. Everything is utterly hevel. So what does the teacher advocate then? That we become pure hedonists or relativists? Well, no, that would be hevel too. The teacher acknowledges the ideas from Proverbs that living by wisdom and the fear of the Lord, that these have real advantages. On the whole, life will probably go better for you. See, but the problem is that even living by wisdom and the fear of the Lord, they're hevel too, because they don't guarantee a good life. Good people die tragically, and horrible people live long and prosper. There's just too many exceptions. And so even wisdom is a hevel. Again, not meaningless, but an enigma. Wisdom doesn't work the way you think it should all of the time. So what's the way forward in the midst of all this hevel? And here, paradoxically, the teacher discovers the key to the true enjoyment of life under the sun. It's accepting hevel. It's acknowledging that everything in your life is totally out of your control. About six different times at some of the bleakest moments in his monologue, the teacher talks about the gift of God, which is the enjoyment of simple, good things in life, like friendship or family, a good meal or a sunny day. You can't control these things. You're certainly not guaranteed them, but that's their beauty. When I come to adopt a posture of total trust in God, it frees me to simply enjoy my life as I actually experience it, not as I think it ought 
to be, because even my expectations about what life ought to be are ultimately Hevel. Hevel. Everything under the sun is utterly Hevel. And so the teacher's words come to a close. Right here at the end, the author speaks up again, and he brings it all to a conclusion. He says, the teacher's words are very important for us to hear. He likens them to a shepherd's staff with a goad, a pointy end, which might hurt when it pokes you. But he says the teacher is trying to poke you to get you to move in the right direction towards greater wisdom. The author then warns us that you can actually take the teacher's words too far, and you could spend your whole life buried in books trying to answer life's existential puzzles. Don't try, he says. You'll never get there. And so instead, the author offers his own conclusion, and it's this. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of humans, for God will bring every deed into judgment, every hidden thing, whether good or evil. And so the author thinks it's good to let the teacher challenge your false hopes and remind you that time and death make most of life completely out of your control. But what gives life true meaning is the hope of God's judgment, the hope that one day God will clear away all of the hevel and bring true justice to our world. And it's that hope that should fuel a life of honesty and integrity before God, despite the fact that I remain puzzled by most of life's mysteries. And that's the wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a little odd to know what to do because we're clapping for a guy in California. Woohoo! They're fantastic. Uh, they're all about this length. Uh, it's a great tool for coaching your kids and giving them a, a, some basic introduction to uh, the, the themes of the scripture. <clears throat> what then are we to do? Now, there's a couple of summary statements in Ecclesiastes. Uh, there's several places where he summarizes then how do we respond to this uh, mystery. I want to highlight two Ecclesiastes 2, 24 and 25, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. In this also I have seen that it is from the hand of God, for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? The writer says, here's the challenge, is that in the midst of your work, in the midst of your labor, even in the midst of experiencing either joy or sorrow, in the middle of all of that, you understand that there is no true joy in any of those things apart from God. It is the grace of God that enables us to enjoy what we hold in our hands. When I was 17 years old, I was a student at Alaska Bible Institute. My time at Alaska Bible Institute changed my life forever. The student at Alaska Bible Institute, and when you live in the dormitory at Alaska Bible Institute, they make you do chores. You know, just because we're not being charged for tuition doesn't mean I want to clean up after myself, okay? And we had certain responsibilities, certain duties as a resident of the dormitory there. 
And one of the duties that was sort of on a reoccurring schedule was the duty of mopping the kitchen. And I remember uh, one night I was exhausted um, from work and from school. It was almost curfew. It was like 20 minutes to curfew, and I realized I had not mopped the kitchen. So I went downstairs and got the stuff for mopping. And I was mopping the kitchen floor, and I just had terrible attitude. <laughs> so many more important things I could be doing besides mopping the kitchen floor. Because I had a terrible attitude about mopping the floor, I was doing a terrible job at mopping the floor. And as a, as a grace on my life, a gift from God, it was as if God just sort of jolted my, con- my uh, conscious, my awareness, and posed me this question, what if this is the last thing that you do in this life? What if this is your final project? What if this is the most important thing you have in front of you to do? How would you do it then? I told Skip this story, and Skip said, I'd quit mopping and go find something else to do. (laughs) And so I finished mopping. But I finished mopping with joy. And that joy affected the quality of my work. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, there is no enjoyment, there is no There is no permanency to our happiness, to our joy, to the peace, apart from God. That is a gift of God given to you in the midst of your labor. He goes on, chapter 3, I know that there is nothing better for them to do, or uh, for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is a gift from God. I went to the opener, the basketball opener, uh, varsity boys basketball. A bunch of you were there. It was a close game. It was a great game. My nephew, Japheth, is a player, probably the best one, anyways. Japheth is almost 6'5". He's a big kid. He's a good ball player. I told him afterwards. I said, you know I love watching you play? Because you enjoy playing. And I've watched many more people who love to play basketball who don't enjoy playing basketball. And yet you have found joy in basketball. And that's a gift to everyone that's watching you. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it and there is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. This is where I want to land. Everything that God does will remain forever. Everything that God endorses will remain. Every word that God speaks will remain. Every good gift from God will remain. Not in its exact form, but in its permanent value. 
Everything that flows from God is of eternal substance. And when we can take hold of God, when he becomes our prize, when he becomes our satisfaction, when he becomes our source of joy, we are not disappointed. We find meaning. I invite the worship team to come on up. This is a challenge that I want to present to you this morning. Some of you right now are at a place in your life where the thing that was supposed to produce joy has not. Some of you are at a place in your life where the thing that could produce joy is just right out of your reach. It actually doesn't matter because joy is a gift that God gives. Joy is something that comes from Him. And that joy remains because everything that God does remains. Everything that God puts His hand to is eternal. It's permanent. When we take a hold of that, when He becomes our highest prize, we're able to walk in the joy that He provides as a gift. One of the ways that we do that as a church body is uh, taking communion together. Uh, when Jesus, uh, for the joy set before him in obedience to the Father, went to the cross, he said, I want to leave you a tangible reminder, uh, uh, a piece of celebration that you can return to over and over and over again as a reminder of where your life is found. It's found in me. It's found through me. And that is communion. The breaking of the bread, the body of Christ broken for us, and the drinking of the cup, the blood of Christ, which is life eternal in us, a gift. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to do communion together. There are a few stations up here around the front. There are a few stations around the back. Why don't you do this? Why don't you stand up? Uh, if you're with your family or grab your kids, go take the cup and the bread and then return to your seats and then we'll take it together.
we all look for joy through the gifts that God has given us. Oftentimes forgetting that joy is the gift that God has given us. And he's given us that gift through his son, through Christ crucified. Not just in order to save us from sins, punishment, but to rescue us from sin's power here and now, to guide our lives as we follow in the footsteps of the cross. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat of it in remembrance of me. covenant, we would take the blood and we would sprinkle it over the, the, the outside of the tabernacle vessels. He said, in the new covenant, I want you to take my blood and I want you to drink it. Because unless you drink it, there is no life inside of you. But if you drink it, this is my life in you, life eternal. Take and drink it in remembrance of me. The gospel message, the good news of God's love, is an invitation to joy. We're going to go uh, into a time of worship now. Um, if you want to take a moment, um, if, you've, if you find yourself uh, either caught up in or sort of lost in life right now and that joy has departed, and you want to take a moment just in prayer, just remain seated. Uh, as we go into this first song and just take a few minutes to hear from the Lord and to confess that to Him and to bring that to Him and allow God to speak into your life and give you joy that comes from Him. Uh, we're going to have prayer team ministry members over here. They would love to pray with you. Uh, if you have any need of any kind, they would love to join with you. There are offering receptacles along the back as part of your worship. Uh, you can give uh, to support this ministry. Let's come before the Lord now uh, and worship. Uh, if you'd like to, you can go ahead and stand. You know, it's not very far into our scripture where we read a story about a man named Abraham who had no prior experience of the God of the heavens and the earth. And the Lord introduced himself by giving him a promise. He says, I promise you this, I will fulfill all my purposes for you. I will do that by myself. And as you continue to read the story, you see Abraham every now and then pursuing and trying to achieve and working towards, right? Because it's, it's just hardwired in us to try to help the Lord along in these things, right? And each time the Lord would say, hey, I'm the God who makes promises and keeps them. I'm the God who fulfills my purposes for you. In fact, one of the times the Lord introduces himself to Abraham. He says, I want to teach you my name, a new name, a different name. My name is, I am your great reward. Me, the God who makes promises and keeps them. The God who says, I will fulfill my purposes for you. You do not need to pursue or achieve or work. I will be your great reward. 
And so this morning, as we leave this place and as we move into a brand new week, uh, it's my hope for each one of us that the Lord would in, in subtle little ways like broken bread and poured out juice and going to sleep at night in all kinds of subtle little ways that he would hide in there for us the reminder he is our reward he will fulfill his purposes for us amen well the lord bless you i want to remind you of the table in the back for those of you ladies that would like to be part of the ladies night you can register for that also uh today again is the cutoff day if you're wanting to be a part of the junior high uh, winter retreat. Otherwise, we will catch you later. See you next week. Lord bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>